Welcome to Order From Ashes, the Century Foundation's international affairs podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the future of the Muslim Brotherhood. And we're joined by one of the foremost experts in the organization, researcher Abdulrahman Ayash, recent author of a recent report called The Turkish Future of the Muslim Brotherhood for the Century Foundation, and also joined by TCF's own Michael Wahid Hanna, who's been a close watcher of all things Egypt and of the Brotherhood, uh, I think, for his entire life. Both of you, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Abdurrahman, let's start with some basics. Why does the Muslim Brotherhood even matter or have any significance at this point in time? So, as you know, Thanasi, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood has been in, in Egypt or actually in the Arab world for more than eight decades now, maybe more than nine decades now. Uh, the, the movement has has been struggling in in Egypt to uh, to reach power for uh, for many years. And uh, in 2011, after the the, the revolution uh, that uh, ousted uh, late President Hosni Mubarak, the Muslim Brotherhood was the the only party to win all elections uh, they they participated in, uh, whether parliamentary uh, or or presidential. Uh, the uh, uh, the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, regardless the tough repression uh, they have been going through since the early days of the Republic in, or even before that, during the, the, the last days of the monarchy in Egypt, the, the Brotherhood was able to maintain, uh, to survive and to maintain their, their presence and their existence in, in the Egyptian society. Uh, I believe, and many other observers believe that the Muslim Brotherhood or the Islamist movement will not be purged of the earth. They they will not be uh, out of of the picture uh, anytime soon. Yes, they, they they are hurt. Yes, they they are suffering right now. But actually, in many ways, the Muslim Brotherhood is feeding on repression and the idea of victimhood. So, what could be seen as the end of the movement from one perspective. From, from many other perspectives, it could be seen as the uh, another stage of, of the movement's uh, survival. I believe that the Muslim Brotherhood is not only uh, important uh, in, in Egypt or, or uh, as, as, as an actor. Uh, the Brotherhood is, is, uh, is a regional uh, movement, is, could be an international uh, school of thought. As as uh, as in, in in the Middle East, the Muslim Brotherhood is powerful in in many countries in Tunisia in uh, Morocco in Jordan uh, and of course in even non-Arab countries like Turkey uh, and the region. And and as we go on, I'm going to want to ask you a lot more about the international versus domestic manifestations of of the Brotherhood. But sure. just as we're getting as we're getting oriented here. Uh, Historically, the, the Brotherhood's influence has been based at least on two major things, right? One is its organizational prowess. It's, it's managed to recruit dedicated members and, and raise money. Um, and on the other hand, it's ideological vigor in a, in a uh, region of secular authoritarians. It, I think, sometimes alone posed a coherent alternative, you know, with this Islam as the solution, and in some cases, a more uh, specific set of programs. And um, again, before we get into some of the really fascinating details of, of your recent work on the Brotherhood, uh, um, I want to ask if you can take stock of those 
two sources of power, its organizational heft um, and its ideological coherence? How, how much remains of those two aspects of the Brotherhood today? Yeah. Well, the, the Muslim Brotherhood still is... is, is okay. <clears throat> well, the, the Muslim Brotherhood is still very powerful when it comes to uh, especially organization and to some extent the ideology. But for the organization, the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, again, is able to maintain its presence in the Egyptian society uh, regardless or uh, notwithstanding the the uh, wave of or or the crackdown that has been going on for seven years now. This is the worst crackdown that the Muslim Brotherhood has been uh, through since its foundation in 1928. The, the, uh, the ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood, I believe that it's much weaker than uh, what Hassan al-Banna, the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, intended or the other leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood throughout its history wanted to be. But at the same time, in comparison with other uh, political ideologies or, or political parties in, uh, in Egypt and the region, the Muslim Brotherhood still has uh, considerable uh, power when it comes to uh, to, uh, to to thoughts and to, to ideology. The other thing that we cannot neglect is the numbers of the Muslim Brotherhood supporters. Uh, Yes, we don't have uh, very specific figures of the numbers of the Muslim Brotherhood members in uh, in Egypt, uh, but the the numbers could not be less than five hundred, maybe seven hundred thousands of of active members. And Most these are these like members, these are like party cadres who are activists, as opposed to like you know maybe some of our listeners think of members as people who show up to vote for something once a year, but you're referring to people who are actively involved in organization-building activities, right? Yes, yes. Mainly, they, they, they are active members or they are active cadres, as you said, but also they are uh, supporting the organization with uh, finance and, and they, they, they are financing the organization. And th this is the main uh, point of power uh, of, of the Muslim Brotherhood, that the the, uh, the members of the organization are really the, the, the main supporter of of, uh, of its finances. Uh, and we are talking about grassroots movement. Uh, for example, uh, the, the member of the Muslim Brotherhood in any specific uh, uh, place or, or neighborhood in, in Egypt has to pay, could be up to 10% uh, of, of uh, his monthly income to the organization. Which I think is unheard of for other other political organizations in, in the mm. region. Um, and one, one more point of context that I want to ask Michael and then you to weigh in on, uh, and then and then we can uh, turn to, to other uh, questions. Uh, but the Brotherhood has really loomed large, uh, you know, and throughout the entire post-World War II period for the autocrats in the region, as well as for intervening foreign governments uh, in the West. Why, Michael, is the Brotherhood the 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 sort of center of obsession or the center of fear uh, for those forces that have tried to to prop up uh, usually secular authoritarian alternatives? Well, I mean, you know, as we've been recounting, um, the Brotherhood is a robust organization with real organic grassroots support. Um, it's a real thing. Um, and in a region that has uh, lacked uh, organized civilian-led politics, um, it was one of the few 
refuges um, for uh, organized political life. Uh, it also um, has the added veneer of uh, religious dogma uh, and ideology, uh, and that um, has has over the course of the decades um, since its founding only increased. And I think particularly after 1967, when the failures of uh, Arab nationalism were laid bare, um, the religious revival that took hold in the region uh, really uh, propelled not just the brothers, but, but other Islamists across the region uh, uh, to the forefront. Um, and so it is that long history, it is the ideological uh, uh, background, um, and uh, a, a real organizational prowess. And of course, when you see uh, the ouster of Mubarak after the Egyptian uprising in 2011, um, the Brotherhood, due to these natural advantages, uh, really was able to step into electoral politics in a way uh, that other non-Islamist groups simply couldn't replicate. Um, now, I think that led to some faulty assumptions and analysis about what that meant for the future. Uh, but clearly, in 2011 and 2012, um, the brothers were an organized political force that had uh, no peer uh, in Egyptian political life. Um, and again, they, they have an organization, they have monetary support, um, they have transnational links, um, but you know, most importantly, they have uh, an organic uh, um, uh, you know, grassroots um, support. It's a it's a real thing, and in a region that lacks a lot of of, uh, of real uh, political movements, um, it it looms large because um, it, it is one of those very few alternatives to the authoritarians of the region. Now, inside Egypt, the, the Brotherhood has an almost I mean, I was going to say uninterrupted, but we we can think of the fifties as a bit of an interruption. But anyway, it's an uninterrupted political presence since nineteen twenty eight. Outside Egypt, sometimes in the region and especially in the West, I hear analysts who I think should know better talk about the Brotherhood as a as a sort of coherent transnational bogeyman, and they would identify they wouldn't identify it as an Egyptian group. They would identify it as a as an international group with local branches, and they would connect. Hamas, uh, maybe the Iraqi Islamic Party, uh, and and sometimes a whole concatenation of Sunni Islamists from around the region, uh, whom they identify as part of a single brotherhood entity. Uh, now, I think the 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 simplistic uh, that simplistic picture is probably not accurate, uh, but it might also not be accurate to say that these things are completely unrelated. Can either of you? Uh, Walk us through what the what the correct way of thinking of the Brotherhood's transnational uh, profile is. Well, I can jump in quickly. I mean, I, I think there is a transnational profile. I think it's important uh, when thinking about the Brothers, uh, the Egyptian variant, uh, to to you know to contextualize the fact that they think of themselves as the first among uh, as, as the first among equals. Um, so they have assumed a kind of. Uh, you know, almost inherited leadership position within the Brotherhood. They have been the most important um, organization within within the broader uh, international landscape. Um, and there is linkage. Uh, they do see themselves as as having uh, these close relationships 
but more often, I would say these groups move in parallel. Um, you know, they're not giving orders from an international um, Politburo. Uh, you know, you have like-minded organizations that exist and have their own uh, organic support within individual countries, but there is some capacity for uh, uh, for contact and communication and um, ideological exchange. Uh, but I think it's a mistake to see it as a kind of coherent top-down organization um, that functions from a kind of uh, central node that that gives directives and orders to to local branches. You know, it is not that organized. Abdulrahman. Yeah, I I agree with with Michael actually in, uh, in what he says, but but also there is an important factor here that the Muslim Brotherhood are not even coherent in inside Egypt. Uh, the <laughs> the Brotherhood right now they they have a lot of uh, differences and and actually uh, I, I I was saying earlier that the the Brotherhood could continue regardless the uh, the, the the repression or actually that the, the, the movement is feeding on on victimhood, but at the same time the real threat that is facing the Muslim Brotherhood right now could be an internal one. The uh, uh, the other thing is that because of course the uh, divisions within the the group. The other thing, when it comes to transnational politics or transnational uh, presence of the Muslim Brotherhood, I, I remember, for example, being in, in Morocco a few years back and meeting with the Prime Minister of Morocco and the former uh, foreign minister, and I, I met also many members of, of the Islamic Party there, the uh, the uh, PGD, the Hizb uh, al-Adala al-Tanmiya in Morocco, and all members, including the, the senior leadership, they had critical uh, thoughts and very uh, spiced criticism against the Muslim Brotherhood's leadership in Egypt and against the, the, the ideology even of, of Muslim Brotherhood and the, the policies that they adopted during the, the year in power and their, their electoral policies before that. The, the, these differences are not... For me, I believe that they are not tactical differences. These are strategic and deeply rooted ideological differences. But what I found in Morocco, I could find also in Turkey, I could find in, in many other countries uh, that I've talked to, to activists in or that I've met uh, Islamist politicians in. The, uh, Tunisia, of course, is a very clear example. Al-Nahda uh, and Rashid al-Ghanoushi, its leader, has links with that, with the with the, with the general school of thought of the Muslim Brotherhood, of course, so they, they stemmed out of the same, uh, of course, religion and, and uh, also the, uh, the, the, the same, uh, uh, they, they used the same literature when it, when it comes to the, uh, the founding texts of, of, of the movement. But when it comes to interpretations, when it comes to political experience, it's totally different. And, and at some point, yes, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, the, the, they saw themselves as the, uh, the the first among equals, as Michael said, but this wasn't the acceptable for for or it hasn't been acceptable for many and uh, uh, or many branches, if if I can use this term of of the group uh, outside Egypt, and of course this uh, became much more clear. Uh, after the, the military coup that ousted the movement and when it became clearer for, for everyone that the, the experience of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt could could not be an example for, for the rest of, of, uh, of the branches of the movement abroad. And, and uh, after the military coup, 
everyone or every Islamist now knows that the Muslim Brotherhood could do much better than they did in Egypt. We'll be right back after this short break. Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation, a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes, we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes, the Century Foundation's international affairs podcast. I'm joined by Abdurrahman Ayash and Michael Wahid Hanna, and we're talking about the future of the Muslim Brotherhood. So, Abdurrahman, right before the break, you were talking about how after the, the coup that unseated Morsi, uh, it became clear that the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood couldn't really serve as the model uh, for the other Muslim Brotherhood uh, sort of fellow travelers and and sister organizations around the region. Uh, was that because of the MB and Egypt's internal uh, autocracy, because of its overreach? What, what was it? I mean... I know my take on why that experiment failed, but what was the take of other Islamists in the region uh, on why the Egyptian uh, Muslim Brotherhood failed in power? Um, and how did that affect the standing of Egyptian brothers among Islamists region-wide? Yeah, I, I think that the, 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 w- w- one of the problems that we should be talking about first is how the Muslim Brotherhood did not uh, consider their mistakes as mistakes. Uh, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, as far as I know, they did not provide any critical uh, view of, of their one year in power and the, the, the years before that in which they were part of the Egyptian politics and uh, the crucial part of the Egyptian politics. The uh, the other Islamists, when when they look at the Egyptian experience, they will find that the Muslim Brotherhood has been taking uh, a sequence of bad decisions. Uh, this started even before the revolution in Egypt. Uh, they they participated in, in elections where the rest of of uh, political opponents or, or opposition parties were not uh, in line with that uh, with this idea they they, uh, they didn't want to participate in the revolution at the beginning and then after the revolution they turned the the political consensus into a fight over ideology and over identity uh, of course this wasn't the sole mistake of the muslim brotherhood but it uh, they, they they sided with the uh, identity politics uh, um, people who, who wanted to divide the society over uh, the question of religion and uh, religious values. I'm talking mainly about the Salafis who uh, used identity politics to divide the Egyptian society uh, over religion and religious values. Uh, the, the Muslim Brotherhood sided with, uh, with, with, with these uh, could be right-wing people in in, uh, in Egypt after the revolution, and they distanced themselves from uh, the uh, other civil uh, political parties. They sided with the military when everyone else was against uh, uh, the the military or was for for the uh, the the 
civil state in, in Egypt, they uh, e- even if the Muslim Brotherhood will not have the same narrative. I mean, the, the Muslim Brotherhood will have a different interpretation of what I'm saying right now. But so you're uh, so you're diagnosing rigidity, arrogance, overreach, internal authoritarianism. So. Uh, and I think we, we, the three of us could go on about this all day, yes. but, uh, I want, I want to get to, uh, you and Michael's, uh, sort of newer thinking about, about the developments since the coup. So since the coup, the brotherhood is subject to historically unparalleled repression, a crackdown that makes Nasser's crackdown look, uh, mild by comparison, uh, driven into exile. I think you estimate maybe 20,000 brothers uh, are in uh, Istanbul alone or in Turkey alone. Uh, so here we are se- seven years later. Um, what, uh, how has the organization transformed or not transformed uh, as a result of this unprecedented pressure within Egypt um, and as a result of its unprecedented gap that you, that you describe between its young members um, and its still rigid old guard? Uh, as I said earlier, Tanasi, the uh, the main thing about the Muslim Brotherhood right now is the internal, or the, the main threat that is, the Muslim Brotherhood is facing right now is, is an internal one. What I mean by, by that is that one main component of the Muslim Brotherhood's ideology is what it called trust. It means here the trust between the leadership and the membership and vice versa. We lost this. I mean... We can see now how the members of the Muslim Brotherhood are losing their trust and confidence in their leadership. Uh, this happened since, uh, or, or this this was very clear uh, during the the first days after the military coup, and it became clearer uh, in Turkey and in other uh, countries where the, the Muslim Brotherhood exists. Uh, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood uh, exists right now. The uh, w- w- one of the main things that. Uh, the, the youth of the Muslim Brotherhood are talking about is how the leadership is using finances to uh, push for for an ideology or a specific uh, ideology over over young people and over uh, other members of the, of the group. Uh, the the uh, the leadership of, of the Muslim Brotherhood right now, which is composed almost of uh, old members over uh, 60, 65 years old, and sometimes over 80 years old. Uh, are controlling the movement who's basically con- consisting of uh, young members who are in their 20s and their 30s. Uh, the, the majority of the Muslim Brotherhood right now are still in Egypt, uh, but these people are inactive. Um, I was actually going to interrupt you to ask, is the leadership uh, in Qatar or is the leadership also in 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 or are they in prison in Egypt or are they in, in Turkey with with the bulk of their members? Actually, the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood are basically outside Egypt. Uh, the, uh, the the leadership in prisons, they, they still have some prisons over decisions, but the, 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 the main decision makers are outside Egypt. Uh, as far as, as we know, uh, those in Qatar are not representing the majority or the, the key decision makers in, in the movement. There are some members or some senior members, of course, of the movement are based in Doha. But the people or, or the leaders in Istanbul and the leaders in, in some other Western capitals, uh, and uh, especially London, are the ones who's ruling the Muslim Brotherhood right now. J- just a couple of days ago, the Muslim Brotherhood announced that they, they are having uh, a shift in, in management right now uh, because of the arrest of the 
the acting supreme guide of the Muslim Brotherhood, Mahmoud Azzat, uh, a few weeks back, the the leadership right now and maybe for the first time is outside Egypt. I mean, by the leadership is the the supreme or the post of the supreme guide of of the Muslim Brotherhood, which, which is the highest. Uh, office in, in the organization. It's now held by Ibrahim Munir, who's based in London and who's one of the uh, who has been the, the, one of the most influential leaders in, in the Muslim Brotherhood since the coup. So, uh, if I could jump in, uh, I, I want to ask you, Abdurrahman, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we've described this situation of unprecedented repression within Egypt, uh, fragmentation abroad, um, quite difficult circumstances in some cases uh, and, uh, you know, a kind of multi-faceted response to these circumstances. Um, There was a sense uh, in 2013-2014 that uh, Islamists plus repression would produce uh, radicalism. And of course, we do have um, some instances uh, of that. I mean, we do see within the Brotherhood radicalizing trends, but not just, uh, right? We see, uh, you know, a turn to, to disenchantment with politics. We see, you know, we see various kinds of responses. And so I wonder if you could maybe just very briefly sketch out, um, you know, what you see is the kind of center of gravity of the Brothers, um, what are the different kinds of responses that we've uh, we've seen uh, since the events of, of 2013? Yeah, um, I think yeah, you, you you said it rightly. There are many uh, different responses or kinds of responses between uh, uh, among the Muslim Brotherhood members and uh, after after the military coup. The the first response actually was the uh, indifference regarding politics. I've been monitoring the Muslim Brotherhood for many years, but uh, some leaders and, and senior members of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, have been talking about how in, inactive the, the Muslim Brotherhood membership in Egypt uh, have been after the, the military coup. Uh, they, they were talking about maybe more than 70% of the Muslim Brotherhood members are now not involved in any kind of activities with, with the movement. Of course, this is mainly because of the repression, but also... In, in other uh, circumstances, these members were very enthusiastic about about continuing uh, their their active membership of the with the group because of uh, their trust in the leadership. But after they lost their trust in the leadership because of the incompetence that uh, that was very clear during the the one year in power, and and after that because the Muslim Brotherhood didn't have any kind of strategy to. Uh, to counter the military coup and to support their bases uh, in Egypt and abroad, those members are not uh, active w- w- with the group right now. I think th- this is the main response, and this is the majority of the movement. Uh, the the other thing, uh, or the the second response, could be yes, radicalization. But what we are talking about here is not like large scale uh, of of radicalization wave, but uh, what happened is that many members who were supported by at least three very senior members of the Muslim Brotherhood, one of them is uh, was killed uh, by by the security forces, Muhammad Kamal, and uh, two others. One is in Istanbul right now, and the other one is uh, in jail. Uh, 
uh, those three leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood, they uh, supported members to create armed wings or armed factions of, of, the, of the group uh, who uh, committed violence against uh, security forces uh, in, in, and, and maybe uh, military in, in Egypt. Uh, this wasn't the case for the majority of the members. And, and these groups uh, were uh, represented and maybe different places in Egypt or different governorates in Egypt, but they weren't uh, representing the, the the overwhelming majority of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is mainly comprised of uh, middle uh, class uh, professionals who uh, are, you know, counter-revolutionary by nature. They are not for uh, radical changes and and to to find uh, a ground for violence or for uh, radical. Uh, ideas and, and the Muslim Brotherhood is very difficult. Well, that, now that's a surprise because in historically and in other contexts, I mean, historically in Egypt uh, and in more recent times in, in uh, uh, parts of Palestine, it was the middle the middle class and and you know famously often engineers uh, who generated a lot of the the most violent radicalism. So uh, that's a that's an interesting surprise if what you find is uh, today the Egyptian bourgeois middle-class members of the brotherhood are not uh, as as susceptible as one might have thought uh, to a message of radical violent uh, uh, resistance yeah i i think part of this because of the muslim brotherhood's uh, relation with the society itself yes the muslim brotherhood could be considered as uh, a distinct group of, of uh, the egyptian society but at the same time the Muslim Brotherhood actually is a vertical sector of the Egyptian society. So you will find the members uh, related by blood to police officers and military officers. You will find uh, uh, members uh, who are uh, professors in, in the universities, teachers and uh, peasants or, or uh, workers. And, and this kind of, of group, yeah, it's very difficult for uh, for it, or or this is how I see it to to be radicalized in in, uh, in a large scale. So you're so just to be clear about what I think you're saying, you're saying that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is so deeply integrated with all sectors of society at this late stage of its development that members of the Brotherhood will have family members or direct relatives who are in the security forces or in education or working as, as, as peasants farming the land. And that means that they're no longer capable as they might've been at an earlier stage of viewing themselves as somehow separate and apart from society and therefore willing uh, to start a war uh, or an armed uh, uprising. Yes, that's true. And and this is the social factor, but also there is an ideological factor. The, the, the Muslim Brotherhood, since its foundation, Hassan al-Banna made it very clear that the, the Muslim Brotherhood are not for the revolution. They, he, he did not uh, call for a radical change of the regime, even uh, if the, uh, the, I mean, historical uh, uh, facts say that the the, uh, the 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 free officers who uh, initiated the military coup that ousted the monarchy in Egypt or ended the monarchy in Egypt uh, was uh, initiated the, the, the group of the free officers was somehow initiated by members of the Muslim Brotherhood and and the Brotherhood members were very uh, crucial part of of uh, of, of uh, the movement especially in the early stages uh, but but the Muslim Brotherhood did not want to associate themselves with uh, with the free officers since the very beginning, and 
they did not want to um, pro- uh, introduce themselves as revolutionary or as a revolutionary movement. Let's take a quick break. What exactly would a progressive foreign policy look like in the Middle East? The lines of critique are clear. Providing realistic policy proposals is a whole other thing and much more difficult. I'm Dan Benaim, and with my colleagues at the Century Foundation, we're trying to ask and answer the hard policy questions and come up with specific proposals that move the ball forward. You can see our ideas and join the conversation yourself at our website, tcf.org. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes. Uh, we're talking about the Muslim Brotherhood with Abdurrahman Ayash and Michael Wahid Hanna. Uh, in, in the last uh, section of our conversation, there's, there, you've raised so many interesting things, uh, both of you. I, I want to ask you about two of the things that have really been evident in your recent research. Um, and one is um, to tell us a little bit what actually are the points of disagreement between the leadership and the rank and file. Um, and secondly, what is the role of Turkey, uh, uh, what kind of role is Turkey assuming in this organization now that it is the central host and staging ground of this historic uh, organization? Yeah, as you said, Tanasi, the the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood now are mainly present in, in, in many countries, and, and Turkey actually could be one of the main countries that uh, that hosts the, the large numbers of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, we are talking about maybe 20,000, maybe more, of, of the Muslim Brotherhood members, including uh, the, the main uh, leadership body of, of, of the whole group right now. Most of the leadership, the key leaders of, of the Muslim Brotherhood are based in Istanbul for the time being. Uh, this had many effects on, on, the, on the group. First, I think that the, the, the model that Erdogan or, or the AK party presented, the ruling AK party, presented in Turkey is affecting the imagination or the political imagination of the Muslim Brotherhood as members and leaders. Uh, For one, Erdogan is a very successful leader when it comes to uh, his mobilization to to his supporters, when it comes to uh, actually his his economic successes, when it comes to uh, his ability to maneuver uh, with the military and to uh, side uh, the or to put push the military to 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 the side uh, after many years where, where the military was uh, present in or heavily presented in, in Turkish politics uh, these are successes that the Muslim Brotherhood are looking uh, at with with uh, in, in a very um, fondly way uh, the uh, the other thing that could be very effective also in the progress of, of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood right now is how the young members of the movement are viewing the Turkish society. The Turkish society is somehow uh, or to some extent a liberal uh, society. Uh, the uh, It's very vibrant. It has opposition still, at least. And uh, it has uh, very uh, liberal uh, parties and very uh, active uh, political life. I think the, the this idea uh, of freedom and liberalism is affecting the, the young members of the Muslim Brotherhood. Many of whom I talked to, uh, they, they they were talking about how they don't feel connected with uh, with with the, with the ideas of the Muslim Brotherhood right now. Some of them are uh, 
uh, or said that they, they are not even connected with the religion anymore. They, that they, they don't feel that they, 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 what, what they, they have been brought up into uh, is, is representing them anymore. The, 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 the relations... I mean, uh, when when it comes to uh, females and males, uh, of, of uh, uh, the, the, these relations are much different now than uh, than before, and this all was affected by uh, by the, the, their presence in the Turkish society. So they're and becoming more people, more liberal somehow, or or yes, yes, they are becoming more liberal. They are becoming more uh, interested in in experiencing. Uh, different things that were totally prohibited before. Before that, it's it's very obvious that many uh, Egyptian youth who were once members of the Muslim Brotherhood or are very active members of the Muslim Brotherhood, when it uh, if we want to talk about females, for example, they started to take off their uh, veils or their hijabs, and uh, 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 males, for example, they started to uh, to have boy uh, girlfriends and and uh, they started to. Uh, yeah, you know, be in in relation, physical relationships with women, and this is totally different from what uh, the the uh, the society in Egypt allows, and of course from what what the uh, the 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 Muslim Brotherhood uh, wanted for them. Do, does this suggest that the I mean, these kinds of liberalizing uh, youth will, in a sense, lose their their influence for other Egyptians because they'll seem like liberal foreigners. Cause you know, Egypt is a very conservative society. Uh, and you know, we know this, but our listeners might not, it's very conservative across the board. It's not just, you know, Islamists and the Muslim brothers who are conservative. Like the vast majority of people are very socially conservative and are very religious. Uh, so is that going to erode the, the sort of connection or the influence that these kinds of activists can have? I think so. I think so. If you uh, if you followed actually the uh, the, the media, the, the pro-government media, the pro-CC media in Egypt right now, they, they are smearing Turkey for being too liberal, for uh, supporting LGBT and, and things like that. And now we, have, we are Just having, as we're watching Turkey slide down into a, an authoritarian like exactly. black hole, Egypt views them as going out a, a liberal uh, on a liberal yes. flight of fancy. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the other things that they they, they are saying that yes, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is being supported by uh, the the Caliph or the Sultan who is supporting LGBT and in, in, uh, in his own country, and he's not. Yeah, I mean this is not even true. But uh, but now we are facing uh, a military uh, government in Egypt who is also um, prosecuting women and girls for uh, for being on, on social media or for uh, dancing uh, before cameras. That's what we, we are facing right now. And this uh, military regime presented itself as the, the liberators of Egypt or, or as uh, as the liberator of Egypt uh, from the, uh, the, the Islamic uh, movement or for the Islamic rulers. But uh, what I want to say is that these social changes could not be seen as very crucial, but for the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood, this means the end of, of the young base of the Muslim Brotherhood. The, uh, the, the, the leadership, they see that the movement is not a political movement. They, they see that the Muslim Brotherhood as a religious movement, and when it loses its uh, religious values, it loses everything. And and I think this is what the, the main difference between the, the 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 people in Turkey or the Egyptians in Turkey and the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood is. The other thing is that the uh, many young people of of the Muslim Brotherhood they feel and they are they have the right to feel so 
uh, that the leadership has no strategy whatsoever when it comes to counter the coup or to uh, face the the uh, Sisi regime in Egypt. They they have been there for seven years now outside Egypt. Uh, but they, they, they didn't do anything for the Egyptian people or for uh, for the Muslim Brotherhood members. This, I mean, may, maybe in 2014 or 2015, a year or two after the coup, it, it could have been easier for them. But but right now, no, they, they are trying to find other ways to, uh, to support themselves. Uh, I mean... Uh, even in, in terms of uh, finances, but but also in terms of ideology and to 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 give themselves uh, some sort of um, I don't know uh, ideological uh, remedy uh, that, that the Muslim Brotherhood couldn't uh, provide them with. Abdurrahman, you you've described a series of, of very varied responses to this period of repression and exile. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm what I wonder about the most is you know what you know, this is. An open-ended period of repression. Um, you know, I I, uh, I think that the CC regime um, has a lot of sources uh, of uh, uh, continued sustainability. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's hard to predict uh, when we enter a new chapter. Uh, it's clear that there won't be a political course correction within Egypt under this uh, uh, current political order. Yes, um, and so you know. It's hard to put a, a time frame on 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 this discussion, but what do you imagine emerges um, in, in the near future or the or the medium term? You know what what do you think the brotherhood is going to look like? Uh, and of course, it might be several brotherhoods in in one sense. But you know what is it? What is the group uh, evolving toward at the moment under these very unprecedented um, circumstances? Yeah. Actually, because we are talking about Turkey, I think it's very important to monitor how the older version of, of the Muslim Brotherhood or the the equivalent of the Muslim Brotherhood in Turkey uh, look like right now after the emergence of, of Erdogan. Uh, the, the equivalent of the Muslim Brotherhood in Turkey was the, the movement that called Milli Grush or the national uh, movement uh, that uh, that was led by Najmeddin Arbakan and uh, and it's been there since the 60s and 70s uh, uh, this uh, movement right now is represented in politics by a party that is not even able to get the threshold to to enter the parliament i think if the muslim brotherhood continued their way uh, with the same strategies or, or the same tactics, the Muslim Brotherhood will be will, will be will become an obsolete organization in, in Egypt. They will not be able to provide reasons for their supporters to continue supporting them and for their constituency to 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 elect them anymore. And but but at the same time, the, the question of religion is not over yet. I mean, the the Egyptians they still vote for or they still respect uh, religious people and. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but they are being easily manipulated, or it's very easy to manipulate Egyptians with void slogans that include religion and uh, religious promises. And I think that this will continue to to to, to happen, or uh, this religious discourses will be uh, used again by by different factions. But the other uh, thing is that the, the young members of the Muslim Brotherhood right now, who who lost their trust in the leadership, I think many of them are trying to 
get back to the the foundations of of, of the movement. Maybe the the uh, literature of Hassan al-Banna, maybe the literature of uh, other Islamic intellectuals or Muslim intellectuals from Egypt and from other uh, countries. And they are trying to build upon this to create something. Maybe they, they, they will make use of, of the mistakes of the Muslim Brotherhood. But I think that the, what we'll be seeing, it, it will be much different from what the Muslim Brotherhood look like right now. And uh, I think it, you know, the smart institutional bet is to not count out the brotherhood because, as we know, there's a lot of path dependency, and there there isn't any other non-state political movement in Egypt that has this kind of long long-standing organizational prowess and ability to mobilize. So, uh, despite all the caveats you raised, there's a safe bet that in the years to come, the brotherhood will continue to be a significant poll of, of political thought and action in Egypt. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, you've been listening to the Order from Ashes podcast from the Century Foundation. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and we've been talking with Abdurrahman Ayash, an independent researcher based in Washington, D.C., and longtime observer of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, and Michael Wahid Hanna, a senior fellow at the Century Foundation and expert on Egypt. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. You've been listening to Order from Ashes, the international affairs podcast from the Century Foundation. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll make it easier for other listeners to find us and help us to keep producing these conversations. Thanks for listening. Till next time.